John chapter 15. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, this is really just a short time before he's going to be betrayed and crucified. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I love that last verse. It tells us something, doesn't it? We probably could figure this out, but God wants for you, and God wants for me to have the best possible life, even here on earth. We think about heaven, we look forward to heaven, and we should. But are we enjoying the best possible life that we can enjoy for our little sojourn down here? Well, we have some of the, the keys that, that Jesus has brought and left for us, and we're going to explore what it means to abide in the vine, the vine and the branches. As we pray, I thank you so much for praying for Jill Burns. She's doing better, and uh, she's got a long ways yet to go. Uh, but also, if you would remember uh, another boy, he's uh, 10 years old. His name is Gideon Patton. He has a very rare disease. And he's had this for some time. It's gotten increasingly worse. Um, this week he had two 40-minute uh, seizures uh, within a short period of time. Um, prayers have been answered, though. He has been blinded for a couple of weeks and almost sleeping incessantly. And he woke up uh, today, I believe it was, or yesterday, and was conscious. And uh, apparently his vision had returned. Um, but when he tried to walk, uh, he wasn't able to do that. They have a long way to go. And so if you would remember Gideon, Gideon Patton as well as Jill Burns when you, when you pray, certainly uh, they are prayer worthy. There's a da damnable doctrine that dominates the denominational landscape. Every time you turn on the radio, the TV, or you look at the printed page, you're likely to read something about this idea. It sounds beautiful and it goes like this. You have eternal security. And it's unconditional security. That once you've become a Christian, that you can never fall. I even heard one of the uh, famous television and radio syndicated preachers say that a person could actually be a Christian at one point and then later be an atheist and still somehow be secure in Christ. 
Well, this evening, that is not the case. But we do have eternal security. In John 10, verse 28, we're told by Jesus that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. But that's not to say that if we choose, that we can't leave the Father, that we can't run away from Him. We have that freedom uh, till the very day that we die. And I hope one of the things you learn from this study and that sticks with you is the possibility of falling away from the faith. Well, we're in John chapter 15. The arrest in the garden is only hours away and only 24 hours or less. Jesus will be crucified and he knows it. And so that makes the words that we've just read and we'll be reading back over even more pressing and interesting. Jesus so often taught obscure spiritual truths through images that were very familiar to his audience. And what would be more familiar to people living in that day and time and that place than a lesson from the vine? And you here in this area are certainly familiar with this idea and the image and probably know much more about this than, than I do. But there are some lessons that we can draw simply from understanding and reading a little bit about what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus so often drew from lessons in nature. We read of the parable of the sower, the fig tree. We notice uh, last night, I believe it was, uh, Matthew 7, verse 16 through 18, Jesus talked a lot about fruit. And he has a lot to say in this place about fruit. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. One of the key words in our study tonight is fruit. When you read through this study with me, and as we uh, envision the, the teaching that Jesus has before us, I hope you will keep in mind the image of the vine and the image of fruit. Big, juicy, healthy fruit, but also fruit that is not what it should be and even a barren vine. Back to verse one, let's take this verse by verse. Don't know how far we'll get, but verse one says, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. What brought this idea to Jesus' mind? Scholars have a number of suggestions. One is the thought of the, the Passover and that observance and, and the fruit of the vine uh, being there, that that would naturally suggest to Jesus uh, any kind of illustration that he might want to present to them. Some have suggested that it was the golden vine that was engraven on the temple, that it was that that led Jesus to talk about and to present this illustration. Others say it was just uh, passing the, the grapevines that they would as they uh, went on their journey on, en route to Gethsemane. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Of course, so many other sources today are pointed to as the fountainhead of abundant living and enlightenment. Some still say it's Moses. Others say it's Muhammad. Still others say it's Buddha. And then others say it's nature, wealth, pleasure, and on the list goes. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. People go in a lot of different directions looking for sustenance, looking for the good life. But Jesus says, it's right here. It's right here with me. And then he says, and my father is the vine dresser. Here I think Jesus is suggesting the intimacy between the members of the Godhead, their unity of purpose, and that the origin of the Messiah's work wasn't his idea, it's the Father's. 
He says, my food or my meat is to do the will of my Father. And the object of glory for any and all good fruit borne by man all goes back to the vine dresser. It all goes back to God. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I have, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And as we so often sing or have sung in the books that we used to sing from, to God be the glory for whatever good happens within the kingdom of Jesus Christ. My father is the vine dresser. I believe that this suggests that God did more than just set things in motion at the beginning and just sat back and watched them happen. No, I believe he invests himself in the lives of godly men and women. He's concerned about our progress and uh, all of our productivity is rooted in him. And I think this also suggests that there is power in prayer. He is the vine dresser. And what vine dresser would not do all he could to foster the most possible abundant fruitfulness within the branches? Philippians 2 verse 13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. I don't know how to explain all of this, but I know that the good that we accomplish it, it takes place because of God working in us and through us. To me, that verse sounds so much like the husbandman, the vine, and the branches. Ponder it again in another light, Ephesians 3.20. He, speaking of God, is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. The vine dresser in us, if we'll but let him work in us and through us. Verse 2 reads this way. Every branch, he's not talking here about denominations, no. Every branch, he's talking about individual disciples. Every branch in me. Every branch in the vine. This is another phrase we're going to see repeatedly in this passage. I think in the first seven or eight verses, you find seven or eight times this phrase, in me. In Christ is the idea. Why would he be talking about that? This is a theme that, that uh, permeates the New Testament. I think specifically about Ephesians chapter 1. There we find in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that all spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings are found in Christ Jesus. Now, there are many material blessings that can be found outside of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 through 46, we find that the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And that's why people living wicked, sinful lives out in the world, sometimes things seem to be going pretty good for them. But when it comes to spiritual blessings, the depth of life, the kind of life that we want, the kind of life that Jesus came to give, that can only be found, can only be experienced in those who are God's children. We find this expressed in a, a number of different ways, but one of these ways is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. What does it mean to be in Christ? What are some other ways in which this is expressed? In this passage, the Bible says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. To be in Christ or to be in the vine means to be in the body, in the church. You cannot be outside of the body, outside of the church, and be in the vine. Won't work, won't fit. In the vine, in the body, 
in Christ, in his church, and in no other. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, we see again the importance of being in Christ, and we see specifically of how we become in Christ. Galatians 3, verse 26, For ye are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How did you become a branch on the vine? Through faith, you obeyed the gospel plan, you were baptized into Christ, and you put on Christ, and at that point is when you were, became a branch in the vine. There's no other way. No substitute for this. You cannot substitute the sinner's prayer. You can't substitute a bunch of uh, miracles, so-called. The only way is to obey the Father, and then you are in Christ. We are not in Christ. We're not connected to the vine until we follow through on our faith in baptism. What does this mean? This means that we're dependent on him for our life, spiritual life, for our strength, for our growth and development. And although the Bible doesn't specifically say this, I believe it can be implied, the sap that flows from the vine is the word of God that contains the power of the spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, the word of the truth of the gospel has come to you and is bringing forth fruit. You get out of the word and you're not going to bear fruit. You got to get in the word because that's where the fruit comes from. The sap, so to speak, flows from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, and through the vine to you if you let it. And that's how you bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. We're talking about fruit. The first condition he mentions is the branch that doesn't bear fruit. Someone who's in Christ, who's in body, in the, his body, who's in the church, but is not bearing fruit. You might have figured this is not the way God wants it. In fact, we get a warning right here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit We'll get to this in just a minute. A few thoughts, though. It's clear that our purpose as Christians is to bear fruit. We find the idea of fruit mentioned 75 times in 14 New Testament books. This is something very positive. This means our lives have meaning. Every last member within the body, in the vine, has a purpose and has a meaning to fulfill. Every Christian who is not productive, who is not fruitful, who is not fulfilling his purpose, who is not realizing his potential, is disappointing the vine dresser, the husbandman, the father. He's looking down in his vineyard and he's looking at you as a branch in the vine and he's looking for fruit. Is he getting it? Are you being productive? Listen, it's not natural for a vine branch not to bear fruit. And it's not natural for a Christian not to show evidence of his conversion or her conversion, his spiritual growth or maturity. But you know why sometimes we as branches are not productive? Why we're not growing? It's because growth demands something else that's uncomfortable. And that's change. We don't want to change. 
We like ourselves the way we are, and we're not ready to change. And so when we're confronted with something in the word of God that says, you got to change. Say, no, I'm not ready. We turn the page, or we turn a deaf ear if we're in the assembly, or we turn a deaf ear when we're in a Bible study because we don't want that. We don't want to change. But when you decide, I'm not changing, you are also deciding, I'm not growing. And when you're not growing, the vine dresser is watching. And the vine dresser is dishonored. And we don't want to do that. I want to ask you tonight, what are your spiritual goals? What are your plans for the future? How do you intend in the future to bring forth more fruit for the Father than you have in the past? you even think about such? We need to talk about that. We need to have relationships in the body that are strong enough and healthy enough where we can talk to each other about these things. Fruit over and over again. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 and 10, we read that we're to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, bear fruit worthy of repentance. It's not optional. There's got to be a change. It's got to be a change reflected in our life. And when we repent, we've got to show a change in behavior. Fruit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Oh, we need to talk about this more. Fundamentals of the faith. This is fruit. We call it, the Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know if the Holy Spirit is making a difference in your life? You just compare your life to these characteristics. And that's the extent in which the Holy Spirit is having an effect on you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit. These are good fruit. This is the things that God wants to see when he looks at us as individual disciples, as branches in the vine. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. You remember he mentions the the Christian graces and how we're to continually add to those and we're continually to have those in an increasing measure. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Listen to what he says. He says after that, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says something else in verse 10. If you do these things, you will never fall. If. He's talking about fruit. He's talking about security, but it's conditional. It's conditioned upon us and our response to the word of God. Titus 3.14. Let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. I hear about some of this going on right here in the body of Christ. At Plans Road, that's a beautiful thing. And you're bearing fruit when you're doing that. When you're doing your good works, when you see someone needs help and you reach out, that's fruit. How do we bear fruit? There's a lot of ways we can bear fruit to God and honor him as he looks down as the, as the, as the vine dresser. Every time you reject a temptation, every time you pick up the phone and call a brother or sister that you know is lonely, that's hurting, that needs an ear, to hear every kind word you offer every good work done with a smile for the sick and for the downtrodden listen brother sister you're bearing fruit when you do that god is glorified when you do that he's honored every time you broach the subject of jesus christ to a lost to a lost soul every time you persevere through a child with a heart to praise and worship god you 
bear fruit. I like guarantees. And 2 Peter 1 verse 10 is a guarantee from God. You will not fall. Let's go back to our passage. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what's going to happen? If you do not bear fruit. There are consequences, as we'll talk later on in the meeting, to not bearing fruit. But specifically, he says here, he, the vine dresser, takes away. What's he talking about? Well, there's another, there's several passages that help us understand what, exactly what he's talking about. Parallel passages, at least to some extent. We've already looked at Matthew 3, uh, verse 10. He says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 7, 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That could be you. That could be me. We see this in Ananias and Sapphira uh, in Acts chapter 5, only they were taken away immediately, weren't they? In Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9, and whether you've uh, farmed or not, whether you've had a garden or not, I think everybody can relate to the feeling or the frustration that God has when something that's supposed to be producing fruit is not producing fruit. Luke 13, 6 through 9, read about a man. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vine, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. I wonder how many times this very conversation could be had about us who are in Christ. There's so much confusion out, out in the world, but you, I, have found the Lord, and we're in Christ, we're in the vine. But we're not bearing fruit. Parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. One of the places we read it, Matthew 13 is another. Notice what's the, what happens at the, at the end of each of these different types of soil. It's the evaluation of how much fruit. After the first time, the wayside, never in the vine, no fruit. No fruit. God can't be happy with that. Satan has taken away the word. Then we read about the stony ground. There's no depth. There's no root. Shallow, shallow. And what happens? It withers away. It's tribulation and persecution. The hardships of this world, they're going to come to all of us. We've got to fight through it. We've got to overcome. As the sister was saying today, we've got to hold on. We've got to hold on or we'll do like that. We'll wither away and what happens? No fruit. No fruit. Then there's a thorny ground choked by the weeds. What happens? No fruit. No fruit. No fruit for the vine dresser. What is it? The cares of the world? The deceitfulness of riches? These things that perish. And then there's the good ground. We're in one of these four categories tonight. Everyone in this room is in one of these four. Are you the good ground or one of the others? The good ground increased and produced fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. 
God wants fruit. John 15, 5. He, ab he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Aha. Uh -huh. Here's a key. Here's a, here's a law. Here's a, another guarantee. If we abide in him and he abides in us, we will bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit? If you're not, you can find the problem right here in John 15, verse 5. If I abide in him and I allow him to abide in me, then I will bear fruit. Branches that don't bear fruit are either sick or diseased or dead. Are you bearing fruit? If not, it's one of these two problems right here. Or a third possibility, you're not in the vine. What happens if that's the case? Well, let's talk about that just, just for a moment longer. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. Here again, he's talking about abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. How do we know if we're abiding in Christ? Well, this is so straightforward and so, so clear. You can't miss it. 1 John 2. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, the world wants to talk about this relationship stuff. And I do believe we have a, have a relationship with God. And he's talking about a relationship right here. But this, uh, this other kind of stuff that's uh, uh, kind of nebulous, kind of hard to sink your teeth in that the world is talking about, that you don't have to obey the commandments of God, and somehow you have this relationship with God, that, that's not the Bible way. Here's the Bible way to have a relationship with God. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him personal relationship, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's a lie. Can't get any clearer than that. We can lie too, though. Verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him, that word abide simply means remains in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Listen, there's 1,050 uh, commandments. Somebody's counted them up in the New Testament. There's quite a few in there. And if we're not diligently seeking to learn what those are and abide by those, you can say, you can talk personal relationship all day long, but you don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know the Lord. You don't know the, you don't know the vine dresser. How, how's that going to be? On the judgment day, if you don't know the Lord, it can't be good. It can't be good. Read, read the rest of, uh, of 1 John. There's so much in it about that relationship, of being in Christ. But let's go back to our text in um, John 15 and pick up where we, where we left off. And every branch... That bears fruit, he prunes. This is getting better now. Hope this is about, this is us now. Hope this is everybody in the room. Wouldn't that be great? Some fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. The Living Oracles translation reads, reads this way. Every fruitful branch, he cleans by pruning to render it more fruitful, that it may bear more fruit. If you're bearing fruit... Don't be complacent. Don't be satisfied. Don't think, well, I'm doing pretty good. Or I'm, do, I'm bearing more fruit than brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. No, no. 
Some fruit's not good enough. And God sometimes will present situations and circumstances that may not be very pleasant, but what's the result? The end result is to be more fruit. God wants more fruit from me, and he wants more fruit from you. From a human standpoint, you know what we do? Sometimes we think, well, we've been fruitful. We've borne fruit, so we should just be left alone. But that's not how God sees it. You know, if it was left up to us, I think many times we'd be satisfied with just offering a, a few shriveled up raisins to the Lord every now and then. That's not what, what God's looking for. God is looking for big, juicy grapes. He wants fruit, and he wants more than some fruit. He wants more fruit. One commentator said, the vine branches need pruning, lest all the sap should run to the leaves only. It can get to where we're going through the motions, and it looks real good. Lots of leaves all over the place. Oh, doesn't that vine look pretty? Listen, but if it's not pruned, if it's not cut back, the amount of fruit will be reduced. So what does God do? He cuts that vine way back, way back. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, less is more. And sometimes that's hard for us to accept and hard for us to get used to. And sometimes we rebel against that. But sometimes pruning is God's answer to our prayer to be more fruitful. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. These Christians were like, sometimes we are as Christians. They were whimpering, whining Christians. Not enough is happening. Not enough good thing is happening to us. They were complaining. He says, have you shed any blood yet? And may I ask, you, as I remind myself, have you shed any blood yet for the Lord? When you're talking about how hard your life is and how hard it is to live the Christian life. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen, you write it down. The love of God, as we experience it in our daily walk as Christians, will not always feel good. There's going to be some times when you're out of line. And a brother or a sister is going to talk to you about some changes that need to be made in your life. And you know what? That may not feel too good. But you listen to what they're saying. And if what they're saying fits with what the Bible says, you know that that chastening is for your good. And it's time to do some pruning. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He wants us to bear more fruit. I love how the Apostle Paul builds up to this truth in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the resurrection and our glorious bodies that we're going to someday have. Not like these. 
And then he caps it off after ex expressing to them all the blessings, the greatest of blessings that they have to look forward to. And then he says in verse 58, Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Does that describe you? Steadfast. Steadfast, immovable. Well, what's he talking about? Immovable. He's talking about abiding, remaining in the vine, not wandering out in the world yonder far away from the vine. Immovable, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word abounding means ever increasing. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Abiding and abounding, they go together. If we're abiding in the Lord, we will, ab we will be abounding. You all, verse 3, are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Interesting, we don't have time to look into this, but in John 13, he says you are not all clean. You know why? It's because Judas was there. You're already clean because of the word. That's what cleanses. It's the word that cleanses. Verse 4, here's a command. He's saying what he's already expressed. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus will abide in you and in your life as a branch in the vine unless you crowd him out of your life. And you can do that. It's possible to do that. To crowd Jesus. Why would we do that? Doesn't make any sense what we do sometimes. We feel so many things in our life that we don't have time for him. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. People have all kinds of ideas of what you have to do to draw near to God. You have to Speak in tongues, as they call it. You have to perform some kind of miracle. Some of them think you have to handle snakes. And on and on the list goes of things. You've got to do some big things to draw near to God. No, you don't. They're simple, basic, fundamental things about Christianity. Meditating on his word, as we've talked about. Reading his word. Spending time with him in prayer. Coveting the association of your brothers. And so on and so on. Read on. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how well-bred you are, how talented you are. You are worthless apart from Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody kid you. Out in the world, there are people that will tell you of how special and how wonderful you are. They don't know what they're talking about apart from Jesus Christ. You don't need the church. You don't need the word of God. You don't need any of that. You're wonderful without it. You're worthless. Separate and apart from Jesus Christ. Some believers think that they can grow, meet their potential, detached from the church or barely hanging on. Can you truly abide in the vine without being attached, connected to the other branches? No. Others pretend that they can thrive without growing in the Lord through personal Bible reading and study, as we talked about earlier this week. Spiritual reflection, ongoing meditation. Without that, no, you're not abiding in the vine unless you abide in his word. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. This is what we want. This is where we want to be. If we do abide in him, and he abides in us, we let him, we'll bear much fruit. Keep that image in your mind when you read this passage. Big, juicy grapes. The vine dresser, when he sees that in our lives, he's honored. 
Don't shortchange him. Don't sell yourself short. Don't cheat yourself and don't cheat God. If you're not bearing fruit, one of two things is true. You may have been in Christ, but not really abiding or remaining in Christ. You may have obeyed the gospel, had your sins washed away, but you're not remaining in Christ. Or you're not allowing Christ to remain in you. You're filling your heart, your life, with anything, everything, but what you need to. How are you and Jesus doing tonight? How would you describe your relationship with God? Close and personal? That he's your most important relationship? That the kingdom is the most important thing in your life? You can't wait to know more about him. You can't wait to grow closer to him. Close and personal? Is that you? I hope so. Or maybe your relationship would better be described as frequently friendly. You have your good times. You have your close times with the Lord. I mean, you, you pray at bedtime. You pray at mealtime. You get revved up during a gospel meeting. But you're hot and cold. You're off and on. You're not giving the Lord your best. Is that you? Somewhat neighborly. You have a respect for God, but you really don't have much of a relationship. You can see it. There's obvious commands that you're neglecting. You're disobeying in your life. I hope you're none of these. and I hope you're not dead on the vine. I hope you're not dying on the vine. Beautiful thing about this. It's obvious when you read John 15. It's on you. And it's on me. If I'm not bearing fruit, if I'm bearing no fruit, I can blame no one else but myself. And if I'm just bearing a little fruit, when the Lord is expecting a lot of fruit, it doesn't matter what people are saying or doing to me or what they're not doing to me. My responsibility to respond as he tries to prune and, and, and bring more fruit from this branch. Are you bearing much fruit tonight? Don't cheat God. Don't cheat yourself. Where are you at? How is it with you tonight? Are you in Christ? We saw what it takes to become in Christ. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've heard the word of God. And you've heard enough about the word of God that you don't have to leave this building without becoming in the vine tonight. In Christ. In his body. In the church. Won't you be added to the body? Won't you allow Jesus to number you as one of the branches in that vine? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.